Amen. If you have a Bible, if you'd open up to Romans chapter 5, we're going to start there in a few minutes. We're going to move to a couple different passages in Romans. This morning, I want to kind of follow up on what Brother Jack preached on last week. He's been preaching the past couple of weeks on the conscience. And uh, as he was preaching last week, God put on my heart a particular message to bring today. Now, I'll just say full disclosure, um, I have preached from these verses before. It's been several years on a Sunday night, and I wrestled with, uh, is that right for a preacher to preach on something again? So I asked my dear wife, Kim, I said, hey, can I, can I do that? Is it okay for a preacher to preach on something again? She said, well, I don't remember what you preach on a week later. So uh, <laughs> what's the matter? <laughs> Talking about an encouragement right there, a real boost in the, in the confidence level. I asked my brother, he's a pastor in Knoxville, I said, hey, uh, have you ever done this? You know, do you do this a lot? And he said, you know, there's sometimes that I feel like it's time to preach something again. He said, I usually change the outline. And I'll be honest, I played Scrabble in my mind with how to change the acrostic grace into something else, uh, but I just couldn't get there. And so today we're going to look at God's grace and use a little acrostic for the word grace to talk about the battle between legalism and license. You see, in the Christian life, there are these two extremes that many times people will, will lean one way or the other toward, whether that be the extreme of legalism, which is a life focused on following rules, both scriptural rules and man-made rules, in an effort to earn favor with God and an expe expectation that others would do the same. And there's the extreme of license, which is a life that, that assumes complete spiritual freedom to do whatever, to act what, however, to decide whatever, to speak whatever, overly assuming that because of God's grace, we can just do whatever we want with no barriers, no limits, no worry about sin. And if you really think about it, as, I, as I've been, as I'd studied the scripture before and I studied again, these two extremes can be seen as coming from a misinterpretation of two key truths of the Christian faith. The first key truth being this. We are made right with God because of Jesus and not because of performance. Isn't that true? That the Bible teaches us that we are saved by grace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our justification is not because of our own doing. We do not earn our salvation. We do not clear our name in the court of heaven because of our own deeds. No, it is faith in Christ and the work of Christ on the cross that sets us right with God. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 says a very similar idea. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a, work, a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are made right solely and only by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so how does that get misinterpreted? Well, it does like this. It's the belief that since I'm at peace with God because of what Jesus did on the cross, then I have the license to do whatever I want now. They think to themselves, well, once saved, always saved. I'm forgiven. Jesus has forgiven all my sin. So does it really matter what I do now? Can I just do whatever? I can speak whatever, say whatever, do. You know, it doesn't matter. And if someone, if someone questions them on that behavior, they typically respond with something like, well, God just hasn't convicted me of that yet. Or they respond with something like, well, God is love, and so God is just going to allow those things to go on. Because, you know, God is love. 
how does this play out? How do we see this take place in people's lives? What's well, those who overlook their own personal use of crude language or foul jokes? Those who, those who are harsh or rude toward others and they simply hide behind the excuse, well, that's just how God made me. I'm just a blunt person. Or, for example, those who overlook forms of sexual immorality, like dressing provocatively or adultery or being addicted to pornography and think, well, it's okay because God's forgiven me anyway. Now, we could go on and on about how dangerous this type of lifestyle is, but at its... At, at, the biggest point I can say is this, is, that, is simply this, is that Jesus taught that a love for him would be accompanied by obedience, right? John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And so to willfully be able to run into anything without any question, any remorse, any guilt into some kind of sinful lifestyle begs the question, where is the Holy Spirit in your life? Where is the conviction of the Spirit in your life? And if it is not there, then the next question is this. Are you truly saved? Have you simply been deceived in thinking that you're okay with God? So enough about license. What about the extreme of legalism? Well, another key truth of the faith is simply this. Salvation in Christ sets us free from slavery to sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. It's on the screen there. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. You may not have known this before you came to Christ. As a lost person, you were enslaved to sin sin could you have done good things yes a a lost person can be a good citizen but deep down in your heart you were enslaved to sin and there was nothing you could do about it on your own but jesus because of the work he did on the cross broke the chains of sin in your life and we have freedom from sin now how does that get twisted like this The belief that in order to make sure I don't become enslaved to sin again, I need to create a barrier in my life. I need to follow God's commands, but I also need to make another barrier outside of that, of my own rules, my own stipulations to say, I don't even want to get close to it. The most famous example we can think of is the Pharisees. They were famously known for making their giant set of rules that went beyond the Old Testament commands and then demanding that others would would follow those things as well. That's legalism, folks. The belief that my relationship with God is dependent upon my ability to follow a set of rules. And oftentimes, the next step for old Lloyd the legalist is this. It's to say, well, I have my rules, and you better follow them too. And if you don't, then you must not be very spiritual. You must not really love Jesus because you don't do what I do. Generally, legalism is is thought of as me making my set of rules and then pointing the finger at you and saying, you need to follow them as well. But many times, those man-made rules are simply personal preferences or the way that we interpret Scripture because of the country we live in or the region we live in even. And so how do we see this played out in someone's life? Well, those that judge their own and your spiritual depth and commitment based on whether or not you dress a certain way on Sundays. 
whether or not you enjoy a particular type of worship music, whether or not you agree with them on particular social issues like drinking or movie ratings or secular music or politics. In fact, there are entire denominations and even churches within our own convention that, that are founded upon and based upon the rules of legalism. I was a part of a church before uh, that had in their bylaws that you had, to, you had to believe in a particular view of end-time theology or else you could not be a part of that church. As if any one person could have all of Revelation and Daniel and Matthew all figured out and pegged exactly 100%. And so the legalists are everywhere. But here's the danger. If all Christianity is, is me making a set of rules and then demanding that you follow them, let's imagine that you succeeded in following those rules. You would likely assume that you were right with God. But are you? Isn't our relationship with Christ dependent upon Christ's presence in our life and not our performance? Now, sometimes you can find people that will, that will waver back and forth. Maybe they'll be legalistic on one issue but licensed on another issue. And so it's not to think that someone's all one way or the other. Many times it's just it's, a, it's going back and forth, back and forth. And so how do we find the balance? How do we find where God wants us to live? How do we find his will, which doesn't lead us into legalism, doesn't lead us into licensing? A couple weeks ago, I took our family on a vacation to visit my brother in Knoxville. Uh, a couple of those days that we were in Knoxville, we drove over to uh, Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area. I don't know if many of you have gone there before, but it's a beautiful place to go. One of the days we were, we were out in Gatlinburg, we went to a place called Ober Gatlinburg. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's sort of like an amusement, amusement park of sorts. Uh, they've got a bunch of different rides. They had a really cool arcade room that looked like it was straight from the Showbiz Pizza of 1985. It was great. They even had a ball pit. <laughs> I thought, man, my kids are going to experience a ball pit finally in their life. But it was this really cool place and all these different rides. And really kind of the first time we'd ever taken our kids to an amusement park of any kind. And so we got on this one ride. It was called the, the Mountain, it was called the Ski Mountain Coaster is what it was. So it was basically a roller coaster that was built with what looked like an erector set into the side of a mountain. Um, and you are, you're on this like two-seat, like two-man car, like me and my child sitting in front of me. And you, you control your own destiny. In other words, you're attached to this track, obviously, but you have these two handlebars. You push forward, you go faster, you pull back, you slow down. And you're going down this mountainside. And so we get on this thing. This is the first roller coaster my kids have ever ridden, mind you. And so they don't really know what to expect. They're excited, but I can tell they're nervous. And so Will hops on the cart with me. He's the lighter one. We put him with me. We figure to balance the weight out a little bit. And so he hops on with me, and, I, and I, we get on that, that car, and I begin to show him how to buckle in, all this kind of stuff. And he's super quiet, but I can tell he's, like, intense, you know. He's got that look like he's ready for something. And so we take off out of the thing, and we begin this what's supposed to be a 1,000-foot ascent up this mountain and he's watching and he's looking and I can tell he's, he's kind of getting pumped and so we get to this first turn and I think okay I've got to be careful because if I go too fast I'm going to scare him he's going to start crying but if I go too slow I'm going to bore him to death right he's going to think oh this is nothing whatever but if I go too fast he's going to feel like he's out of control like he's going to fly out of the car so we get to the top and I think okay I'm just going to cut it loose a little bit and see what happens so we get up there I push forward, it begins to go down, This it, cuts, it turns like to the right and goes down fast. He squeals like a pig. <laughs> Just, woo! 
And so at first I'm like, you okay, buddy? <laughs> you know, are you? And he's like, I love it, Daddy. And so we go around the next curve. I kind of learned as I was going, okay, if I kind of pull back a little bit in the corner, slow down so he doesn't feel like he's going to lunge out of the thing, speed up in the straightaways, he gets really excited. So we're going back and forth. He's screaming, I love this place, I love this place. So we get to the last hill, and I think, okay, here we go. Last hill, Will, here we go. Boom, I, I cut loose, and he screams, I was reminded of the scene from Braveheart. Freedom! <laughs> it was great. But in that moment, I found the point of freedom for him. I found that balance between racing ahead and pulling back. And so the question is, how do we find the sweet spot in our spiritual walk? That we don't race ahead dangerously towards sin but yet don't pull back and get bogged down with the burden of legalism. Well, I believe it's found in the word grace. You see, by grace, by God's grace, he has set us free from sin. That's what those truths taught us, right? For by grace we've been saved. By his grace, he will guide us to make wise decisions. And by his grace as well, he teaches us to let others make their own decisions as well. And so I want to use that word grace as a little crosswalk. Let's think of the G in grace to represent Give authority to God and to his word. This is how we find the balance, folks. It begins with giving authority to God and to his word. If we're going to find that balance, that point of living in the middle of God's will, it's going to begin by turning over the authority of our life, the control of our life, and giving it to the Father. And that is more than just speech, that is action. Now, why do I bring that up first? Simply because for the licensed person and the legalism person, it's all about control. For the person who goes to the end of license, they say, I don't want to surrender the control of my life to God's command. To the person who leans toward legalism, they say, I want to add to the Bible's, com Bible's commands with my own commands. I want to put my own stamp, my own authority into the truths of Scripture. And so we start by simply recognizing God as a, as a child of God. He has authority over my life. And because he has authority, then his word has authority over my life. And so often when we open the word, we find a clear-cut definition of what we ought to do. For instance, we go to the Old Testament. The, the, the biggest example I can give you is the Ten Commandments. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. Honor your father and mother. Those commands are cut and dry. We go to the New Testament, we find similar cut and dry commands. Ephesians 4.29, do not use foul and abusive language. And in James, it talks about care for the widows and the orphans. That is a cut-and-dry biblical issue. In Matthew and in Paul's writings, we find teachings on sexual purity. Those are cut-and-dry things. And so in those situations, at least we know what to do. might be difficult to do it, but we know what we ought to be doing. I'll pause right here to remind us, us all of this. It is not legalism to be expected to live according to the word of God. That is obedience. And it is not legalism to call other Christians to do the same. That is called accountability. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, we're commanded to hold each other accountable. And fortunately, much of what we deal with on a regular basis comes down to the black and white of Scripture. Do this, don't do that. 
And so the first step in finding that balance is simply to open the word and ask, what does the word teach in precept, in command? However, the problem comes in when we get into what we might want to call a gray area. And as much as many would argue against it, the reality is there are many parts of Scripture, many commands that God, for whatever reason, in his infinite wisdom, leaves up to interpretation. Some of those things are cultural differences. For instance, how we live in the South versus in the North, or in America versus Asia or Africa. Some of those things are differences of interpretation. Some of those things are just simply personal likes and dislikes that we've elevated to the level of right and wrong. So what are those gray areas? Let me give you some examples. For instance, can I watch that on television? Can I turn it on The Walking Dead? Can I watch The Bachelor? Or whatever other show is at the top of the list this season. Can I turn my radio on Kicks 106? Are tattoos sinful? Or how in the world do we interpret all those Levitical laws in the Old Testament? Can I drink socially knowing that drunkenness is obviously a sin because that's what the Scripture says? Should Christians adorn their car with a rebel flag? Do I have to dress in my Sunday best? Or do I have to dress in Sunday casual so I don't offend somebody? There are plenty of things in our lives, folks, that God honestly leaves up to a little bit of interpretation. And we need to be reminded there are plenty of people who honestly, dearly love Jesus who will fall on either side of any issue. And so for us to come down and say, no, it has to be one particular way, is flirting with legalism. And so what do we do next? Let's let the R and grace stand for this. Research the principles taught in the word, seek wisdom of others, and pray. When we come to those gray areas, and the Bible doesn't really give us that cut and dry right and wrong, that what we need to do is we need to turn to the Scripture in principle and say, what does the Bible teach us that's related to this issue? For instance, with teenagers, we talk about dating quite a bit because they're at that point in life, they begin to get interested in the opposite sex. And, we, and, and now, obviously, Jesus didn't have a girlfriend, and so I can't really take them to that verse. But how do you teach them how to, how to do that properly, how to date with honor and with, with a good heart spiritually? We take them to passages on purity. We take them to passages on modesty. We take them to passages that teach about how we're to treat the opposite sex with honor. We think about the question of can I watch this particular thing on TV? You go to scripture like, like Philippians 4, 8, which says, think on those things which are holy. And you ask yourself, can I watch this and my mind be on something holy? And so even when the Bible doesn't teach in precept, it teaches in principle. And so we go there first, and then we, and then we go from there. We go find other believers who we respect, and we say, what do you think about this? You may not necessarily agree with what they say, but you need to hear how they come to the conclusion they do. Because in the process, you will learn how to interpret Scripture. And then, with all that in mind, then we take all that into account, and then we, and then we go back to the Lord, and we pray. We never skip that step. We go back to the Lord and pray, God, how do I take all this and apply it to this situation? But it doesn't end there. Let's let the A in grace stand for this. Ask, how will this affect me and others? God's grace doesn't give us the freedom to do whatever we want with no consequences. 
Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Grace Awakening, said it like this. Grace never means we're free to live any way we wish, whatever the consequences. Grace does not mean God will smile on me regardless. It means I'm free to choose righteousness or disobedience. If I choose the latter, I will have to take the consequences. Imagine that I opened a restaurant, and I named that restaurant Grace Restaurant. Now, the good news is all the food is free. Would you come? Probably so. Until you realize it was just a crystal burger in disguise. <laughs> now, let's imagine that it was a uh, let's imagine it was a good restaurant. You went in this restaurant called Grace Restaurant. You looked at the menu. Everything was free, but the one stipulation was whatever you ordered, you had to eat. Now, some people like me would probably go in there and be like, "Oh man, it's all free. I'm just going to load up my plate." Well, here's the reality, folks. Later in the night, when you regret that decision, when you don't feel very well. Don't expect grace to remove the consequences. When you feel guilt over the fact that you had so many calories, and man, I'm going to gain a few pounds. Don't expect grace to remove the consequence. You have to live with it. Every decision that we make comes with a consequence. Some good, some bad, some major, some minor. And when we make these decisions, we have to ask ourselves, in this gray area, am I willing to live with the consequence of what I'm about to do? But then also, we need to ask ourselves, how does this affect others around me? Because it's not just about you, it's about others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is teaching about eating food sacrificed to idols. Now, it doesn't really translate perfectly into our current setting, but the principle is this. He makes the point that if what I do causes another to stumble into sin, then I need to reconsider what I'm doing even if it means laying down something that I don't really consider to be sinful. Now, here's the rub. Why should I give up my freedom to do whatever that might be, even if I don't think it's sinful? I mean, why should someone else's conscience control what I do? That sounds a little bit like legalism, doesn't it? Well, think about it like this. Imagine that I drove my pickup truck to Lowe's, and I loaded up the back of my truck with a bunch of pavers. You know, those concrete blocks you put out in your yard, stepping stones. Now, let's imagine I loaded that thing down, then I went and got my wheelbarrow, and I loaded them up, the wheelbarrow, load by load, and I just took it around, and I just dumped it in my backyard. Just haphazardly threw them wherever. They were piled on top of each other. They're not level. They're not even. They're not even straight. They're stacked on top of one another. What would happen if you tried to walk on that? be a stumbling block, right? Especially at night. If the lights were out, you tried to go out in the backyard and get from one place to another, you might trip on something. But imagine if I took those same stones and I did the prep work and I laid out the groundwork and I leveled it out and I laid every stone carefully and made the path go exactly where I wanted it to go. What could have been a stumbling block would become a stepping stone. Folks, with every one of our decisions, we have the potential to either be a stumbling block into sin for someone else or a stepping stone toward Jesus for someone else. And that is what we have to consider. Is this decision going to lead someone else toward Jesus or is it going to be something that trips them up in their faith? Part of the responsibility of being a Christian is that sometimes I have to lay down my own freedom for the sake of another. 
that I have to give up something that maybe I enjoy that I don't really feel like is that bad because of the way it hurt someone else. So next, what do we do? Let's let the C in grace stand for to choose what to do. So we waded through all that process. We've looked at the scripture for precept. We've looked at the scripture for principle. We've, we've gone through it, praying through it, and asking other people. Now it comes down to the point of making a decision in whatever that issue might be. How do we make the choice? Well, let me give you a little quote. I give it with a little hesitation. I don't really know where it came from, but I really like it. But don't call me a heretic when I first say it. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then do as you please. Now somebody's going to say, wait a minute. You just tell people to do as they please. They can just do whatever. Now hold on. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then do as you please. If you are pursuing Christ, if you are truly pursuing your relationship with God and you are praying and seeking Him, seeking His wisdom, seeking His will and the Word, and you are loving your neighbor and caring about those around you as you would yourself, then you are free to do as you please. Because what you will please to do will please the Father. Because your heart then and only then is in the right place. And so God gives us that freedom that when we've prayed through it and we've sought it out and we've considered how it affects others, we have the freedom to live our life as He has put on our hearts to do so. So make that decision. You're free to do so. But, we'll finish with this. We'll let the E in grace stand for extend grace to others to make their own decision. Flip over to Romans chapter 14 for me if you would. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen. But I think this is one that if you have a Bible and you write in your Bible, this is a good one to kind of underline. says in verse 1, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Here's what that says in a nutshell. In the gray areas, make your own decisions based on the Holy Spirit's guidance. And allow others to do the same. And don't judge them in the process. And pray that they wouldn't judge you as well. By all means, if God puts it on your heart to do this, to live this, to believe this in those gray areas, then do so. But don't allow that to become the standard by which you measure someone else's maturity in the faith. Allow them to be God who God has made them to be as you are who God made you to be. God's Word is a complicated book. Can we all agree on that? And I don't believe anyone except for Jesus has ever walked this earth and understood every bit of it. And so I can't be the Holy Spirit in someone else's life. The Holy Spirit has to be that, that role in their life. 
I'll leave you with this. God does what he does by his grace. I am who I am by God's grace. And I will let you be who God calls you to be by the grace of God. The balance between the wild freedom of license and the tight restriction of legalism is found in the grip of God's grace. The grace of Jesus that sets us free from the power of sin and makes us right with God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace. God, we, 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 could, we would be nothing without it. We would be lost in our sin, bound up in shame, and on a path headed straight to hell. But God, you have redeemed us, and you have set us free solely by the work of Jesus on the cross. And God, I pray that we would be people who live in the power of your grace. Who do not come to you thinking that if we would just follow a certain set of rules, that we would earn our favor with you. God, I pray we would not be people who would just run wildly towards sinful behavior, thinking that we're forgiven for everything, so we might as well live it up. But God, we would be people who seek to please you and to honor you with our lives. Father, I pray in this room, if there are those that struggle with these issues, God, I pray that you would soften our hearts. God, I pray that you would bring us to the word and help us to know how we can live in the freedom that you have given us in Jesus. Father, if there is any in this room who does not know your son as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be that day that they would admit that they are a sinner. Admit that they have sinned against you. That they would believe in their heart that Jesus is the one and only Son of God who came to this earth, lived a sinful life, died on a cross, and rose from the grave, and that they would confess their faith in Him to forgive them of their sins and to be the Lord of their life. I pray that today would be that day they would make that decision publicly. And Father, I pray that you would work in our midst through the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Stand if you're still.